the big silence, empowering personal experiences, inspiring compassion, and healing lives. We are no longer silent. We are here. The Big Silence. Hello and welcome to the Big Silence podcast. I am your host, Karina Dawn. I'm a mental health advocate, wellness entrepreneur, and co-founder of the leading women's fitness community, Tone It Up. I'm also a New York Times bestselling author and founder of the nonprofit, The Big Silence Foundation. I'm also a wife, daughter, friend, and yes, palm mom of five. And just like you, I'm a work in progress. I have experienced profound grief and trauma and then found deep joy in life. And now I'm here to share my story, be a safe space for you to share yours. And we're having in-depth conversations with psychologists, doctors, spiritual leaders, friends, and others who have been impacted directly or indirectly by a mental health condition. No more embarrassment, no more shame, no holding back, only healing. Let's go! Mental health is my wealth, the stress upon the shelf. Nobody can love me the way I love myself. Seek and ye shall find the truth and the light. I'm living my purpose, so I sleep good at night. No more depression or spiritual recession. And every day that I wake up, it's a blessing. So breathe in, breathe out. Everybody in the house know what I'm talking about. The big silence, the big silence. Hello, and welcome back to the Big Silence Podcast. I'm your host, Karina Dunn, and thanks for coming on back to hang with me. It is January, towards the end of January, and about the time that either you realize you didn't start your New Year's goals or maybe you need a little boost. I've been pretty good. I've been going to my gym um, in person. I've definitely stepped back up my meditation practice, which I'm very proud of. I'm Let's see, I'm eating really healthy. My other resolution was to make meals at home again because I feel it's very meditative. So I'm making really feel fun meals from the Tone It Up nutrition plan, actually. Uh, and speaking of Tone It Up, just on January 23rd, so just a couple days ago, we started our new January fitness challenge. So if you're looking for something to get remotivated and have some fun, it's all about shadow boxing with our trainers, Danny and Dahlia. It's really fun. And there's HIT and shadow boxing, core, cardio, a nutrition plan. Super fun. So just head over to toneitup.com. Come join me. Check in with me if you do any of the workouts. Keep me motivated and I'll keep you motivated. So today's guest, she is my new, I'm going to call her BFF. We did a podcast swap. It's Alessandra Torosani. And we have such great conversations. She has such a great outlook and great personality. You may know her from, um, she's an actress from Malcolm in the Middle, Arrested Development, Big Bang Theory, and many, many more. She's also a mental health advocate as her herself has been diagnosed with bipolar one disorder. So we dive into that. Uh, she has a really great perspective on living with a mental illness and thriving and breaking the silence and uh, the stigma. 
So make sure you share this. Maybe there's someone in your life who needs to hear this conversation. And also uh, make sure you sign up for our newsletter at thebigsilence.com to stay up to date on any events that we have coming up. Yes, there are events in 2023. I want to meet all of you in person. And also keep in touch of when new podcasts are coming out. All right, so enjoy this episode. Alessandra Torresani. Welcome. said it beautifully. Oh, really? Well, it's a beautiful yeah. name. Do you know my actual name? I go by Karina Dawn since high school because my last name is Sahadachni. Sahadachni? Yeah. So it's Karina. That's beautiful. Thank you. Karina Dawn Sahadachni. But I was spending most of my days in grade school. They're like, how do you pronounce your name? How do you spell it? It took me till is second it, grade to know how to spell it. Is it Russian? Ukrainian. Ukrainian. It is beautiful. And I understand that must have been very hard because that's how it was for me. It was a very hard name of like trying to spell and figure it out. So second grade, I mean, pretty good. Like could have been longer. Could have been high school. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I literally so vividly. So props to you. <laughs> thank you. I vividly have a moment <laughs> of my dad dropping me off to school and I was getting out of the car and I turned around and I go, Dad, S-A-H-A-I-D-A-C-H-N-Y. Oh, my. <laughs> he must have been so proud. He's like, this is the moment I've been waiting for. Like, this is name. it. <laughs> so, Well, it's I- a beautiful name. Do you ever go by it when it's not in quote unquote professional, like in your personal life? Do you still use that? Or do you officially change it? I go back and forth in my personal yeah. life. I mean, I love yeah. the last name. I think it's yeah. beautiful, just like your last name, Torsani. Yeah. But it's, is, a, it's a mouthful. Yeah. It's a lot for people. Do you go... So do you always go by Alessandra Torresani? You know, I do. What's funny is my original name is... The last name is Torreson, mm. which you can still find on some of my IMDb from when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Because that was the name that my grandpa chose when he moved from Italy to become American and sound American. So it didn't make sense for us to keep that name. So then we all changed back. So when I was in grade school, it was actually Torreson, which made no sense. It was a fake name. Mm -hmm. And then it went back to being the original Italian name because I had this Italian first name. So it made no sense. It was like, what? Yeah. So you're second generation? I'm third generation. Third. Okay. Well, second, no, wait, second. Your grand, yeah, technically second generation. Yeah. I had to think about that for a second. Yes. My grandparents came here in the 1950s, and then my grandma was pregnant with my dad. And so he was first generation. I'm second. But they also changed their names. My grandmother had this beautiful name, Anastasia. And oh, I, I love Anastasia, that name so much. Anastasia, however you pronounce it. But she went to Nancy. 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 Nancy, Nancy from the Midwest. Where did Nancy move to? The Midwest. No. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh, Nancy. And so then my grandfather was Ivanovich, which is my dad's middle name, but he changed it to, I'm going to let you guess. Ivanovich. So he changed it to, I'm going to say Bob. <laughs> Close. That is my husband's name, Robert. No. <laughs> John. John. Bob John. Same idea. You know what I mean? Same idea. Oh, my gosh. But isn't it funny that they felt the need to become like, oh, we're going to be like fit in the box and be American and hide kind of 
they truly were, right? But it was just kind of easier to say, you know, it's interesting. My my grandpa's last name is Glow, G-L-O-W. And that's mm-hmm. what my mom goes by. It's like the coolest name. That is a cool but name. But then we found out, like, if you go way back, it's like Glochowski or something. Like, mm-hmm. we don't even know what it really is, but that's what it... And it's just like, wow. It's like, think of all the names and all the like melting pot of cool names we would have had in America if it wasn't for Americans being like, we want to change it and have this boring name, you know? Yeah, um, but, you know, you said too. It's Nancy. Like, Nancy. <laughs> Anastasia. I love that name. But yeah, you know, like you said, it's like fitting in and to the more, yeah, which right. is what also... We're going to have the conversation today, too, and how you've been through such a transition and being very vocal about mental health, mental illness, and all of that, and opening up that conversation where you feel comfortable just to be who you are. Totally. And I'm excited to talk about it. I talk about it so much that sometimes I feel like I'm so numb to it. I don't. Do you ever feel that way with your like mental health conversations where you're you said a story so many times that it almost loses the like shock value to where some people are like, oh my God, that happened to you. And you're like, oh, yeah. is it, I've said it so many times. Like at this point, like. I think part of the process for myself is talking about it so much is actually healing. I used to not mm. be able to tell my story or my mother's story without crying. Oh, but interesting. Through talking about it so much, now it's like it's normalizing that conversation. Right. And right. So, and not normalizing it to a point where there's no empathy because there's so much no. empathy. No, of course not. No, no, no. It's just you've talked about it so many times. And I think that that's why a lot of, I, I'm sure you do too, but like a lot of things, like a lot of people will always reach out and be like, how did you get so comfortable sharing this? Like you say it like it's like a list of groceries. Like, oh, I went to the store and I got a banana, you know, and when I'm talking about <laughs> bipolar disorder. It's like, yeah. well, I think when you do, it's that first initial hump of getting that story out the first time. Then it's the second time. Then it's the third time. And then it becomes not in a bad way of normal, but you're right. like. It shouldn't be a big deal. Like, this is what it is. Like, it's part of my story. Yeah. And no shame. Even when starting Tone It Up, too, I was like, nobody can know about my past. My mom, schizophrenic, suffered from depression and who knows what else, which spiraled me into my own situational depression, my own things. I'm sure it's all, you know, a lot of genetics in here. A lot of things. And we'll get into that on the genetics and how we naturally or with medication can move through this life. Yeah. But yeah, I was so embarrassed, but that causes more suffering. So we are here talking about it and what you're doing in your work in mental health and through your podcast, Emotional Support, like it's changing lives. So I want to go back. Okay. Yeah. Where did you grow up? (laughs) So I'm originally from the Bay Area, from Los Altos. I was born at Stanford University and I lived there till I was about nine and then I would go back and forth to LA for the next couple of years, kind of for pilot season. I was a competitive dancer my whole life. And so I traveled all over doing competition dancing. And I got asked to audition to be a host of a kids club in the Bay Area. And I got it. It was like wild. 
and we recorded it, um, recorded it, we shot it um, every weekend, Saturday and Sunday. And I would interview people like the mayor of San Francisco. I interviewed the San Jose Sharks. I interviewed really cool people. And I did this when I was really young. And I got bit by the camera bug that way. Mm-hmm. And that's when we started to try out LA and Hollywood. And then we ended up moving to Los Angeles, probably like officially when I was like 11, 12. So your um, family moved with you down there because you yes. were just like, so my had dad this could kind of be everywhere. My mm-hmm. mom just kind of gave up everything and was like, let's do it. And she actually went to business school at UCLA. So she was very familiar with Los Angeles and I think secretly wanted to come back. Um, so it was great. But it was kind of whatever I needed. And they saw that this was my passion. And so it's like, let's follow that passion where it is and listen to it and go with it. So I was very, very, very lucky that I ended up here. And now I'm home in Los Angeles still. Wait, so how long have you lived in LA? I'm 35, so a long time. Long time, yeah. That's like your home. Longer here than the Bay Area, that's for sure. Yeah, I know. I moved to LA when I was 18, was there for 20 years. And I was like, I lived in LA longer than Indiana. Isn't that crazy? Like when you think about it, you're like, oh my God, I've been here this long. Like where has time gone? Yeah. So you're a creative kid and you've, I've already talked in the intro about all your successes and everything, but how do you move through this? What does that feel? And I want to get into, you know, focusing most of the discussion on your mental health and bipolar and what that process was like for you growing up and then having the recognition and moving through this. Well, what's interesting is I was not officially diagnosed until I was in my 20s. Yet there were signs of bipolar disorder or something, right, was there constantly. Um, It started when I was really young. I would just out of nowhere, just bang my head against a wall. Um, I did it in an airplane one time. There was a moment when I was about five years old where I couldn't cross thresholds, which meant I couldn't go from one side of the door to the other. And it was because I was such a perfectionist that if I knew I couldn't be better than I was the day before, I didn't even want to put myself in the situation where I would go outside of my front door. I would, it mostly would happen in the dance studio or in the karate studio where I literally couldn't walk from one part of the front door to the other side. I mean, it was wild. And at that point, you know, my mom knew that there was definitely something wrong and not wrong like in a, my child like cursed, it's bad. You know, it yeah. was like, no, Just there's something, something that's not, how, how does one day a five-year-old wake up and everything is completely different? Like it just mm-hmm. didn't make sense. And I had talked to therapists and all different types of people. And the modality that actually worked for me at the time when I was five was hypnotherapy. Mm-hmm. And that was just a game changer for me. And I was, did hypnotherapy, worked. All of a sudden, I didn't have the fear. I didn't have this panic. I didn't put the, you know, brakes on the door. And that was like a huge moment. And so that sign kind of happened around then. There'd be little signs here and then, but it didn't really happen where there was an uh-uh moment like of, of that something is really messed up till I hit puberty. And I think a lot of people who suffer with mental illness, I'll say this. I wouldn't say a lot of people, I'd say the people that I've spoken with Mm -hmm. um, from my own Mm -hmm. personal experience, when you hit that hormone and 
everything gets turned upside down. Everyone will be like, oh, it's just the hormones. You're going through puberty. Like it's those teenage years. But a lot of the times that's when the mental illness will spark. That's when Mm -hmm. it'll come in your face and be like, I'm here. And at the time, therapists had put me on antidepressants, which if you're living with bipolar disorder, Mm -hmm. it makes your highs higher and your lows lower. And it also caused me to be suicidal, which I never was before. There were certain, like, it, it created a rage and an anger inside of me, which did simply the highs higher and the lows lower. Like, that's just what it did. Um, And still at that point, you know, I'm 15, 16 years old and the diagnosis still isn't there. And it took me till I was on this TV show called Caprica. I was 21 years old. I just turned 21. And between 20 and 23, when I was on the show, that's when I had gone to an acupuncturist who said to me, has anyone ever said to you, you might be living with bipolar disorder? And I said, no, what's that? I've been going to therapist. And he says, well, I work with a lot of creatives and the symptoms that you're having, the outbursts, certain things, the panic, it just kind of fits. I would maybe go and talk to someone. And the second I talked to a new psychiatrist about that, you know, they were like, yep, this is 100% what it is. But I mean, that is years Years, that it yeah, took you to started, properly diagnose. You started going to hypnotherapy at five years old. Yeah. Number one, so your parents were educated. I mean, I assume your parents Super were Super educated, it. yes. So it was yep. bipolar or some kind of mental health disorder illness in your family? Is there genetics with that? You know, there is. You know, we used to always laugh that my dad's mom, you know, was crazy and would always be like, oh, you know, she would always like, you know, threaten to hit, you know, her husband with a frying pan and, and you know, scream and have these outbursts. And it was like, oh, she's so crazy. Ha ha ha. You know, <laughs> and now looking at it, I mean, obviously she passed when I was very young. So it's not like I can sit here and diagnose her now, but but there was definitely signs of bipolar disorder there, you know, with my father too. I mean, he, we do not have a speaking relationship, but, um, you know, there are similar signs that he had that it's quite obvious, you know, the proof is in the pudding, you know what I mean? And, and it's absolute genetic and you can understand that you can see, you know. Yeah. My grandfather was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. My mother was diagnosed skipped a generation here. And that was part of my most, my biggest fear because I saw the struggles of my mom for her entire life. And I was like, she lost everything, but she didn't want to speak up. She was ashamed, the stigma. She was mad when I started working with NAMI on the board, National Alliance of Mental Illness, like maybe six years ago. And I was encouraging her to speak up. I was like, do you know how many lives you can... Help and save if you say, I live with schizophrenia and I'm alive and I'm not ashamed of it. And you can still have a life even with a diagnosis. Sure. I'll say this. As someone who's an actress and I like to be in front of a screen and talk all I want and, and blabber on, even for me that first time of admitting it, while it was a relief when I heard it in the doctors, my diagnosis, because it was like, oh, wow, there's actually something that I can say this is, that it's mm-hmm. not just in my head. To say it out loud, and I remember speaking of NAMI, they, I had gone with a friend of mine, Morgan Stewart, who's an ambassador for NAMI as well. 
and she was being honored and she was at this luncheon and she was like, do you want to come? I know that you know you live with mental illness. You understand you're part of this. And I had gone up to someone after hearing all these wonderful people speak. And I had gone up to someone who previously was at at NAMI and I'd gone up to Katrina and I said, hi, I'm Alessandra. I was like, I'm an actress. I was like, I actually... I live with bipolar disorder and I've never heard anyone else speak about it the way that these people are speaking about mental illness. If you ever need help, like I'm here for you. And saying that out loud was like such word Mm -hmm. vomit. And then like, I was like, did I just say that? And I got so emotional. I went to the bathroom and I started crying because it was the first time I felt like this like relief of like, wow, there's other people out there and they have they have the like, you know, the, the balls. They have, they have this, they can do this, you know, mm-hmm. and you can talk about it. And it just shows how one conversation, one story really can move someone, even if it's not the exact same story. It's the openness and the honesty and just, it's a beautiful thing. It's really beautiful hearing, hearing other people's stories. It is. And I think through the years when myself, yourself having the shame of like, oh, this is my past. But like the more you talk about it, the more healing it is. And for you, you get the diagnosis. What was your initial response? It was like, a name to it. You know, it was like, (laughs) imagine you have so much stress in your shoulders and then someone gives you like an awesome massage and you're like, ah, I feel so relaxed and relieved. I literally felt that way. And I, which is not a lot of people that I talk to, they don't feel that way when they get diagnosis. They're kind of like, oh, I don't know if you swear on this, but like, oh, you know, (laughs) oh my God, you know, (laughs) like this is real. For me, it was a relief because I had felt in quote unquote crazy for so long. I had felt that there was something wrong and it was like not having a diagnosis. I was like, I don't understand. Like, I know that this feeling needs to be validated. This is real and no one believes this. And so getting that diagnosis, knowing that there was a medication that could help me, that could balance me was so exciting. And it was such a relief that I was finally validated for what I felt like. Yeah, so you got on the meds and it helped. I was on Lamictal, yes, which was great because the one thing I was fearful of that I will say was I, being an actress, right, I have to cry on command and I have to show all different types of emotions. Mm -hmm. And I was very fearful of being on a medication that would numb me Mm -hmm. because I was used to that. I had been on that with the antidepressants when it made the highs higher and lows lower. Mm -hmm. It also gave me a sense of numbness, like of not being able to feel anything. And I didn't want to be able to not feel anything. It's my job to feel things. Right. And being a creative. Um, So that was... Yeah. So knowing that other creative types, other actors, musicians, the people were still able to be their true authentic self on this medication was just a game changer for me. Yeah, I know. Same with my mom. Why she never wanted to take meds. Number one, she was an artist as well, and she couldn't be creative when she took her meds. And then it's finding that like cocktail too. And we talk a lot about sure. that with Nami and the family and family program there. Like understanding, like you have to figure out the right one for you. And then yeah. some, you know, personal choice you want to be on or you don't. And then yeah, what are the other? So are you on meds now? Because I know during pregnancy, it was a big thing for you. So, right. So when I got pregnant, it was not a, oh, I'm just going to get pregnant and it's going to be fun. It was a really, it was quite a planned out thing because I had been told by so many doctors that if I'm on my medication and I stay on and I get pregnant, you know, it would be high 
birth defect rates, you know, my baby probably wouldn't survive. I probably would have a hard time getting pregnant. I had been so scared that I thought, you know what? My my husband and I had a conversation. I was like, you know what? If we're going to do this, let's do this. And I'm going to slowly wean off my medication in a proper way with doctors, with help. And I made a decision with him that it was like, if it gets so bad where I'm halfway off my medication and this is not going to work, like we'll figure out another way. We'll have to have that conversation. But I did get off my medication um, with the help of lots of people, stayed off. I'm currently still breastfeeding. So there was a choice where, you know, do I get back on my medication and stop breastfeeding? Well, at that moment when I had my baby, it was when all the news was there was a formula shortage and you can't find formula. And I was like, I don't really want to be dealing with this issue right now. And for me, it felt something that I needed to do. It felt I needed to breastfeed. It just, I had to do it. So I have still been going to the doctors and being monitored and I'm feeling great, thankfully. Um, and there's been no uh, knock on wood, hardcore postpartum depression, which was something that I was very fearful of. But I was very lucky because through the podcast, I was able to meet so many specialists in maternal mental health, mm-hmm. which is something that is not talked about enough. And so I was very lucky to meet great, great resources and be able to provide those resources and not be able to have to use them to the way that I thought I was going to have to use them. I'm not on my medication right now, but I as I, I plan on going back as soon as I finish breastfeeding yep. is my long-winded answer to that. <laughs> was the Did you go through withdrawals coming off? Because sometimes I can hear it can take up to a year or it we I went down 25 milligrams every 25 every sorry every two weeks and then I would reassess and sometimes it would be a little bit longer sometimes it would you know we would go back to the two weeks I did not have any withdrawals I would say that the hardest time with getting off the medication was the first I would say 50 milligrams and that was like within the first month because it was just weird. It was like an adjustment to my body. And Mm -hmm. I think that that would have been, I mean, I don't know if this is me thinking this. I think it would have been like that for any medication, not just the bipolar medicine, just because your body, I had been on this medication since I was 22 years old and I'm, I was 34 when I got off. So, I mean, that's a long time to be on steady medication in general, but I did not have the withdrawals that I was expecting that I've heard a lot of stories of people. And so I'm just curious what, like, so with bipolar one, disorder you go through these manic moments Mm -hmm. these episodes that come up so what is i'm just curious for myself too like the difference of what that feels like when you're on medication and now that you're off are you having those episodes and now because you you have the diagnosis and you understand and you probably have learned about your body more and your mind are you able to realize when an episode is coming on and ask for help It's really funny to me. Since I've given birth, I have noticed and been so much more in touch with my body than I ever had been before. Mm. And I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's because the baby or what, but I, I can feel almost, you know, I like to explain whenever a manic episode's coming or a feeling like this rage inside, it's like a volcano in your stomach and you can feel the lava slowly coming up, slowly coming Mm -hmm. up and then uh, there's the big explosion, right? So I've gotten to a point where 
if I even feel a little bit of lava brewing, you know, as I like to say, I am now like, okay, right now my focus, I know I cannot be on my medication. So what can I do to realign my body, realign my mind? Because I have this baby right now that I have to take care of. So does that mean I go into transcendental meditation? Does that mean I just take a step outside? There are certain things that I have to figure out. Do I have some tea? What did I eat that might have triggered something that that would have been upsetting to me? I've really had to take a pause and really just like have that moment and really just like focus in and not allow anything to get as bad as it was. During the second trimester is when I had a big mental breakdown where I feel like it was a hop, skip, and a jump away from being locked up because I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, this is really bad. But I think because I lived with the diagnosis so long and I've lived with mania so long of knowing it's that volcano, once that explosion happens, like it's downhill from there, you know, and it's going to be a wild ride. I think because I felt that feeling so many times, I'm able to identify it and know. What are the steps that I can take to kind of stop it and be extra aware more so than I ever was before and dependent on medication? And just because I was on medication, I think that some of the the some people may not be aware, just because you're on medication doesn't mean you're not going to have a manic episode. I mean, I've experienced so many manic episodes being on the medication because like you said, it's an adjustment, right? It's a cocktail. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to go a little bit higher on the medicine. Sometimes you go a little bit lower. When it's that time of the month that I'm about to get my period, my hormones are rushing and crazy. Mm -hmm. It's a higher chance for me to have a manic episode. And that's just me. So I think that just being in tune with the body. Yeah. And so then you mentioned some of your modalities are transcendental meditation you do. And even in that episode that you were able to be like, okay, go do this because you've yeah. trained your mind through living with the diagnosis for so long and then getting in nature. What else do you work out? Well, like, I I think I have to also say, I think what also helps is having people hold you accountable mm-hmm. and being able to be surrounded by my mom, who's my best friend and my other you know best friends in my life and my husband you know, they can also see things if maybe I can't. Because a lot of the time, you know, those of us who live with mental illness can't see when it's bad, when we spiral. So being able to have them help be like, I think that, let me just hold the baby for a second. Why don't you just go for a drive? Or like, why don't you go do something? I think that that really helps. And I highly recommend you find at least one person, whether that be a therapist, a professional, or someone personal that can help out. But for me, it was really hard during the pandemic because I'm a professionally trained dancer. And dance movement is probably the biggest help in my life. Mm -hmm. It just gets me out of my head. It makes me actually Mm -hmm. just... (laughs) completely zone out and zen out. Any type of movement really can help, especially dance. If I have an opportunity to go take a dance class like that, that will really help center me and and realign me, whether it's even just taking a bath, as stupid as that is, or, you know, going, you know, into your car and putting music on and screaming as loud as you can. Like I do that a lot. Like (laughs) a lot of people think I'm nuts because they've seen me driving and I'm just like (laughs) screaming bloody murder. But you know what? Sometimes it helps. So it's whatever in that moment I feel I need, I will go and do. I think it's really important too, because you mentioned, well, your husband and your mom are there to help and they recognize and have that empathy for you. And especially being a new mom, you need to be able to, without guilt, step away and have that time. Like, And that 
it's great that you have a team around you that oh, can I'm support so you. I'm so lucky. Yeah. yeah, and I'm so lucky because I am very aware people do not have that. I am, I am, I'm couldn't be more aware of that. But that's why if if you may not have someone like that in your life, or you don't have a partner, or you don't have a parent or a family member around you, if you could even just have a therapist or something, or a helpline, or someone that could hold you accountable, where they can maybe see, you know, mm-hmm. oh, you're spiraling. This is a sickness. You know, it's not your fault yeah. because yeah. it's not your fault. And people yeah. need to know that it's yeah. not your fault. Absolutely. So you were diagnosed at 22. Yeah. Right. yeah, yeah about like 21, 22. Yeah. And then when did you meet your husband? Ooh, seven years ago. Okay. Like seven, I'm trying to think. Seven years ago. Yeah. We met at a Halloween party. Oh, well, you know I was this... dressed as Lilu from the Fifth Element, so oh. was you know looking really good in those bandage outfits. So, <laughs> um, but I did ignore him and I didn't give him my number for months. So, um, so it took a couple other times of, of us meeting for it to finally happen. Oh, same here. I, my husband, <laughs> I met like at least a dozen times and reintroduced myself every time. <laughs> See, and he thought I was the biggest bitch. He's like, "We've met yeah. before." I'm like, "We're always <laughs> in these group settings, like." But you know what? When you and I don't know how you were before, but I was someone that was constantly in relationships. And it was the first time in my life where I was like, I am taking this time for me. I'm not going to like hook up with people. I'm not going to date people. Like, I'm just going to focus on me. And that's what I was doing. So that's why, like, I look at it now and I'm like, how did I not want to just like jump on this opportunity? You know? (laughs) Uh, But I wasn't ready. It was the first time that I needed to take care of myself. Yeah, I was out of a relationship and trying to be single and like, no, 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 no. But then he, Bobby, moved in (laughs) to an apartment below me at the time. This is over a decade ago. And then I was like, he's so hot. I finally like saw him all of a sudden. Yes, right? (laughs) It's like you needed to be like, woo, here we go. (laughs) So to the initial reason I was asking this question. (laughs) So at what point do you have that conversation with your partner of, hey, this is me. And then, because I know with Bobby, I had normalized growing up with a mom with schizophrenia and having her in my life and being her caretaker and this and that. And he was just like put into the situation right after we got married and she showed up at our house and he just didn't understand what was going on. So we took the NAMI family to family course together. I think it was like 12 or 13 weeks. Amazing. And it was his idea. He wanted to educate himself. So he knew how to support me as his partner. And then also to have empathy for my mom. So Mm. it's a great course. Anyone out there, like you, it's in person or online. Great course just to educate yourself. So at what point do you tell your future husband Wow. That's so... I love that you guys did that course. I think that's so cool. I actually told him, I think it was the second sentence that I ever spoke to him about life and introducing myself. Honestly, because just to preface this, I had a lot of relationships where I would wait to share my diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And the moment I did share my diagnosis, that was a button that they would press um, when it may be fault of their own. If someone, for instance, was cheating on me, it was my fault because I was bipolar. Mm. Um, Or if I had accused someone of something that 
turns out to be factual. It was my fault because mm. I'm crazy. I'm insane. I, you know, mm. uh, so I always said to myself, the next guy that I meet, I'm not going to hide this. I'm not going to keep this and be shamed about it. And then when I finally do open up and be vulnerable, have them use it against me, mm-hmm. I'm just going to be open and be like, this is who I am. Love me. You know, but warts and all, let's go for it. And I said to him, I said, oh, by the way, you know, I live with bipolar disorder. So you can either like deal with it or not, but this is like what it is. Like, this is my life. Yeah. And he's like, oh, okay. And what? Like, cool. What? What? You know? Yeah. But I think because he normalized it so much. And I finally, for the first time, felt like, oh, wow, it's not a, a like a, like a scarlet letter. That's what it felt like always before with other relationships. Um, and with this one, it just felt, fine. And he's been so open when, especially when it came to the pregnancy, he educated himself way prior on, on bipolar disorder, but working with me on dealing with how can we handle this mental illness while also going through all the hormones of pregnancy? Like, what is it that I can do to support? So it's been a learning curve for, for both of us. Um, But it was the best thing that I ever did opening up at the beginning. Yeah, that's good advice. And I think education is so important. And because yeah. I, I keep using the word empathy, but that is what you have to realize. Like, you wouldn't tell someone with cancer, like, you're crazy. That's why you're Absolutely. having this mood, you know. And, Absolutely. Um, just normalizing that conversation and cheers to your hubby for like <laughs> being the support. Cheers, I know. Sturgis. Good job. <laughs> good job. Good job. But I mean, it, and I'm sure, I mean, it's not like your marriage, my marriage. It's not like always good. We have the ups no. and flows, but it's that realization that this is life. It's not always it's going a partnership. To be easy. Yeah, and I think that that's there. It was a real tough time being pregnant. It was a real tough time, you know, going through COVID. There was a mm. lot, but I think that the darkness creates such light and creates such beauty and and strength, you know. And I think that people forget that that uh, that marriage and partnership and when you're looking for someone it's not just oh my god the love of my life it's not just a best friend it's someone that you have to deal with financial issues with with emotional issues health issues there's so much there it's a mm-hmm. and it's a lot of work and it's not and anyone that says it's real easy i'm very jealous because <laughs> life lying. has not been easy for me <laughs> and you're you're lying <laughs> I know I was at this meditation once with a friend and it was at a pop sugar event and my friend Beat was leading the meditation and she was doing like one of the like the screaming things, you know, yeah. like where you just yeah. scream like, ah. yeah, chanting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, and I was with another friend sitting next to me and it was like, just let it out, whatever you're angry at. And my friend looks over and she's like, I'm not angry at anything. I'm like, what? <laughs> she's like, like life, life is perfect. I was like, what? <laughs> what like, does that mean? How? <laughs> Perhaps there is a how and it does exist. I don't know. Yeah, um, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> so, Alessandra, I want to continue our conversation on your podcast, which we're yes. doing in a few days. I know. I'm so excited. Emotional Support Podcast because... This is a really fun convo, but I want to make sure everyone heads over there and we'll release them at similar times. Yeah. And a shout out to our friend Jen Byrne, who connected us 
Jen Byrne is the absolute best. And I just have to say, I was in such a, a weird place with the pregnancy because I didn't announce it until I was in my third trimester, which it was superstitious things. And I was like, you know, what if you never know, mm-hmm. you know? And also I didn't know how to handle it of how do I talk about my mental illness and that I got off my medication when I'm someone that's been preaching about medicine. Like there was just a lot that was like going on. And I had reached out to Jen because I said, I really want to write an article. Like I felt that was something that when I was pregnant, I I felt such an urge to do is I constantly was writing. Like I, mm-hmm. and I never was that person. I just was writing down every day, every day. And she said, you know, I really think that this is a story that, needs to be talked about because, you know, you hear about hormones changing your body Mm -hmm. and when you're pregnant, you know, pregnancies and stuff, but people don't talk about the kind of like messed up part of it of what do you do beforehand? Like, let's talk about doctor information about medication that it's not tested on pregnant women because the gestation period is not long enough. And who also wants to be a test dummy when you're pregnant? You don't want to do that. Like, there's so many things. Um, And she was such a doll. She goes, I really feel like let's get this out on the biggest, you know, way possible. And so, you know, she had talked to People Magazine and they were so awesome and they were like, absolutely, we want to talk about this and write about it. And it was great. She helped me out so much and she helped so many families out there who had been dealing with the same thing but had never heard anyone talk about it. And it's a very shameful thing being pregnant and having a mental illness and going into a doctor and talking about it shamed a lot. And so to know that I wasn't the only one and that other women out there have not been the only ones. Like she really just did such a solid and now getting to meet you, like this is so great. It's about sharing these conversations and normalizing it like you were saying earlier. Yeah. So shout out to Jen. And you need to get out to Austin again because Jen's here. (laughs) Yes. I am so ready. My baby needs has... Actually, my baby has cowboy boots. So little cowboy boots. So Mm -hmm. it's time to bring those out and just work it. (laughs) Hell yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Alessandra. I love this conversation. I look forward to our next conversation in a few days. And yeah, everywhere to find Alessandra on our podcast, Emotional Support is in the show notes. Woohoo! Thank you for joining us today and every Wednesday. If you or anyone you know needs help now, text HERO to 741-741 to connect with a crisis counselor. Our crisis text line is private and confidential. If you loved this episode or think a loved one could benefit from listening, please share. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the.big.silence. Head over to thebigsilence.com to sign up for our newsletter to stay in the loop for live events coming up and details on the release of my memoir, The Big Silence. And as always, we'd love a like, subscribe, and leave a review on anywhere the podcast can be found. I love you, and I will see you next Wednesday. One, two, three, sing it. Here's to radical self-love, the type of love that will defeat anxiety, the type of love that defeats depression. This is the one life. This is the moment. This is the time to dig in, to be who you already are. The Big Silence. Breathe in, breathe out.
Yeah.